Welcome to Fountain Springs, everybody. My name is Steve Spies, and I'm the lead pastor of Mountain City Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. It's a little weird telling you that. Thank you. Yeah. It's a little weird telling you that because I don't actually live in Salt Lake yet. Um, my wife and I actually just bought a house there this week, and we'll be moving in the next 30 days or so. Um, and it's, it's uh, coincidentally, by the way, the same week that we're moving, my wife and I will be celebrating nine years of marriage. Yeah, thank you. It's an awesome thing to be married to your best friend. It's an, it's an incredible, incredible journey we get to share. As my wife helps me lead this church that we're starting and this mission we're going on. And we have, we have three awesome kids together. Jack, who's seven. Eli will be five soon. And Claudia is one and a half. So you can imagine our life is an adventure. There's never a dull moment. We're constantly on the go. And it's, it's a lot of fun. And it's exciting. If you're not aware of who I am... Uh, up until just a few months ago, I was the recovery pastor here at Fountain Springs, and before that, the prison location pastor. I've had the privilege of serving here for four years now, and so this is my home. This is my church home and my church family, and it's such an honor and a privilege for me before I leave to be able to stand in front of you and share this message that God's put on my heart one more time. I'm so excited to get into this, guys. Today, we're going to be talking about suffering and discomfort. Who's excited? A couple of people, okay. More importantly, we're going to be talking about where we find joy in our suffering and our discomfort. So a few weeks ago, as I was getting ready for one of these trips I took, house hunting in Salt Lake City, I started to notice that my car was shaking a bit. And so I did the responsible thing, and we took it in to get it looked at, get the alignment checked. Um, and after an hour of looking at the car, you know where this is going, right? After an hour of looking at the car, they come back and say, okay, well, here's the 12 things that are wrong with your car, and the bill that's six times what you planned on paying. Um, <laughs> ow! <laughs> that wasn't what I planned for. That, that was not my plan for today. And I, I would guess that you've probably had similar experiences. Maybe you, like me, have taken a car in to get it fixed, and it turns out that there's a dozen other things wrong with it that need to be addressed immediately, and it's going to cost you more than you want to pay, <laughs> frankly. Or maybe you got a job, and that job was awesome, and you were excited about it, and then a couple years down the road, they ask you to take a new position that you're not so sure of. Or maybe the job just didn't turn out to be what you thought it was going to be. Or maybe you've been in a relationship that took an unexpected turn. Maybe you're a parent and you just get this, right? Because every moment of our lives is doing something we didn't plan on or taking an unexpected turn or doing something we don't want to do. That's just like, no, not you? Okay, for me. <laughs> Spend a lot of my days going, why did we have three kids? Whose idea was that? <laughs> um, but I think, I think that you and I have all experienced these moments where we thought we knew what our next step was. We thought we knew what the plan was, and the plan was good. And then someone, whether it was a mechanic or a boss or a spouse or a child or maybe God himself, stepped up and said, 
nope, try again. The Apostle Paul experienced this. So last week, Pastor Chris did an awesome job of setting up the series on Philippians for us. And this week, as we talk about joy and suffering, we're going to go just a little bit deeper. And so as I've looked at the other books that Paul wrote, the other letters he wrote, I can tell you that he had wanted to go to Rome for a long time. He had wanted to go to Rome and share the gospel. Now, if you're, if you're new to church, we throw around words like gospel a lot. So let me just take a second and reel back and break this down. The gospel is simply the story of the Christian church, the story of how our ancestors, the very first human beings, made a decision that affected every single one of us and permanently separated us from God. And because of that decision, we could not experience peace and comfort and joy with God forever. But God, in his infinite goodness, sent his only son to earth to pay the death penalty on our behalf so that we can spend all of eternity with him in perfect comfort and peace and joy when we leave this world. We understand that? So Paul wanted to go and share this message about Jesus, about God sending his son with the Roman people. And there came a point in his ministry where Paul got arrested for sharing the same message where he was. And instead of just allowing himself to be beaten and go on his way, which he could have done, Paul leveraged his unique situation to appeal his case to the emperor. See, Paul was a Roman citizen, which to us seems like, sure, he was a citizen. What, a big, what, what does that mean? Well, in his time, not just anyone was a Roman citizen, especially for a Jew. That was a unique situation. See, to be a Roman citizen, it didn't matter where you were born. For us, if you're born in the States, you're an American citizen. It's a good deal. You have all the rights of an American citizen. It's awesome. In Rome... In ancient Rome, both of your parents had to be Roman citizens. It didn't matter where you were born. It didn't matter if one of them was. Both of your parents had to be Roman citizens. So it wasn't a super common thing. Not only that, but the, the only other ways to become a Roman citizen were to impress someone really high up in the government in battle or to buy it if you were really wealthy. So Paul's in a unique position to be able to leverage his position and get himself to Rome. And as a result, he gets carted off to Rome and is basically put on house arrest, where he's put in shackles, chains like we'd see on the movies, right? And he has guards follow him everywhere he goes. Everywhere he goes, every minute of the day, okay, he wakes up and there's a guard there. He eats breakfast, there's a guard there. He takes a nap, there's a guard there. He goes to the bathroom, there's a guard there. No privacy whatsoever, all day, every day. But outside of that, he's able to walk around freely. He's able to talk to people. He lives in a rented home. I would say that his situation, he has some freedom, but he's definitely not comfort. He's not experiencing comfort. And this goes on for four years. For four years, he stays in this situation with constant guards. And I think we can agree after four years, discomfort grows to something more maybe a little bit more like suffering. Imagine, I don't know if you've ever had to wait four years for anything, but imagine waiting four years to hear if you're going to live or you're going to die. Because at any moment, the emperor could decide, you know what, today I've got a few minutes for Paul. Bring him in. Ah, no. 
And this is where we find Paul. But in the midst of this, during this time when he's been waiting, he's been getting glimpses, just whispers of these rumors floating and circulating among the churches that he's started, among his friends in these other cities. They're wondering what's happened to him because he's been gone for so long, and they don't know. They're wondering if maybe his ministry's done. Is he dead? What, where is he? What's happening? And so he writes a letter specifically to answer those questions. So here's how he starts out. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So put yourself in the perspective of this church he's writing to, this church in Philippi. All they know is that their pastor was arrested and he's been gone for a long time. They're starting to wonder what happened to him. I would imagine they're starting to feel a little hopeless as these whispers are rumbling around. Did you hear about Paul? Did you hear that he got carted away? I heard that he might be killed. I heard that his ministry's done. I heard, I heard, did you hear about Paul? All these whisperings are coming through and they're starting to feel hopeless. As I'd imagine, they're starting to wonder, well, if Paul, this this pastor who started all of these churches, who did all these incredible things, who had this incredible testimony, if this could happen to him, then what hope do we have? Why are we even trying? And for Paul himself, I imagine this wasn't his plan for getting to Rome. This wasn't how he expected this to happen. There were probably days where he wondered some of the same things they were wondering and even looked up and said, God, why? Why am I doing it this way? Why does it have to happen this way? But it appears that he has a different perspective than we do. Because Paul writes to this church, and he says, actually, actually, me being in prison has served to advance the gospel. It's actually benefiting the message of Jesus that I am in chains. He's saying, guys, listen, 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 listen. My my ministry, it's not done. It's just getting started. In fact, these guards, I'm not chained to them. They're chained to me. They have to follow me every single place I go. They have to hear everything I say. And they don't have some nice noise-canceling beats, and so they have to listen to every word that comes out of my mouth. And so I'm talking about Jesus all day, every day, and they can't stop hearing about it. He says, not only are people hearing about Jesus, people are believing in Jesus, and they're being bold enough and brave enough to tell other people about Jesus because I'm doing it from prison. Saying, guys, the gospel is being spread in Rome because I'm in jail. This is a good thing. See, Paul knew something. Joy isn't a lack of discomfort. Joy isn't a lack of discomfort. Some of you probably know my story, but for those of you who don't, I did not start my ministry 
in the typical way. I didn't come straight out of high school and go to seminary and, and you know, do the four years of school and get married and start a family and build, build my way up. I, I know I look like your typical pastor. Um, <laughs> I had to walk quite a different path. So I spent most of my adult life before my ministry, working hard manual labor. I worked a good manly job in a steel yard where I got to carry steel over my shoulder and I got to drive cool big machines, semis and front end loaders and, and cranes and I got to run welders and torches and do tons of fun stuff. Uh, but I was also a really angry, really mean person. I was a pretty awful person. And it was in this very room five and a half years ago that I sat in a recovery meeting, and for the first time in my life, I admitted out loud that I, I was struggling with a very serious pornography addiction, out of which stemmed all of my anger and my hatred. I decided that night, October 28, 2013, that I was going to follow Jesus with everything I had that I was going to make him my king and my savior, and that no matter what he asked me to do, I would say yes. No matter what. And that was the beginning of a journey for me. God would then walk me through a season where he started to test my resolve in that. If you've ever been tested by God, you know what that looks like. God started to test me. He said, okay, you said you'd say yes to me, so trust me in your money. Trust me in your finances. And so Katie and I started to give our first 10% of everything that came into our home to God. And it started out going really well. And then before too long, my overtime got cut at my job. And we started to struggle. Before long, we didn't know how we were going to eat at the end of the week. There were months where we didn't know how we were going to pay our rent and in all honesty, we were just waiting for our eviction notice because we knew it was coming. Over and over and over, we went through this painful, uncomfortable season of suffering where we didn't know how we were going to feed our family. And I'll tell you, as a, as a man in my family, I suffered feeling like a horrible husband and father because I couldn't provide. Katie and I felt horrible as adults because we weren't able to pay our bills. And yet somehow through that season, guys, I've gone back and done the math, and it doesn't add up. Even with the help we received from family and friends, it does not add up, and we should have been on the street. We should not have been able to eat. Somehow, though, we made it through. We were able to keep our apartment through that year. And I will tell you that I believe, and you cannot argue with me on this, the only reason we made it through that season was because we chose to trust God with our money, even though after giving him that, there was no mon not enough money left to pay all our bills. Next, he walked us through a season where he asked me to trust him with my career. And so I still remember the day that he asked me to leave my job. And I walked away from a job where I would have retired at 43. 
And then from there, he walked me into a season where I started a new job that I wouldn't have expected, and it came out of the blue, but it allowed me when a month later, one of the pastors here at the church pulled me aside and said, hey, Steve, your friend Doug, who's the prison location pastor, is moving. And we believe God's calling you to be the next prison location pastor at Fountain Springs. I had to wrestle with that one a little bit. I'm going to be honest, I didn't just say yes to that one. It took a while. But we wrestled with it, and we prayed about it, and we knew this is what God was calling me to do. I didn't know why. I didn't understand it. Why on earth would a bunch of inmates listen to a guy like me? But I said yes. And over the course of the next year, I fell in love with that ministry. I fell in love with the people that I was ministering to. As these men and women came, and they were genuine, and they were seeking God with everything that they had, They weren't pretending they had everything together. They had no reason to. And I fell in love with it. I started to lead the recovery ministry here at Fountain Springs. And we saw God just do incredible things. We saw lives changed. We saw people come out of prison and start serving and doing things for God and love God with everything that they had. We saw people in recovery groups changing their lives. It was amazing. And I started to feel this incredible feeling as after a year, I got to do this full time. It became my full time job. I was able to go to school to become a licensed pastor. And I felt like, yes, I got this figured out now. This is what God called me to do. God created me to do this and I'm good at it. This is perfect because not only did I find what God made me to do, but I'm in a place where they support me doing it. Fountain Springs is all about what I'm doing, and so we're working together, and we've got all these plans. We revamped our recovery ministry, and then we we got involved in the juvenile unit, and then we started something in the jail, and we were looking at other prisons and other places and how we can start things there, how we could help other churches start things there, and it was exciting. I was like, guys, I don't ever have to look for another job ever again because there will never be an end to my work here. I love this, and I never want to leave. And then just as quickly as I found my sweet spot, God threw me a curveball. Because right then, Katie and I started falling in love with another city. So in January, Katie and I took a trip to Salt Lake City. We spent five days there. And when we came back, we were changed forever. We weren't the same people that left. This place that we lived for most of our lives doesn't feel like home anymore. It's a weird feeling. And the best, the closest I can come to explaining it to you is that it feels like I'm living in someone else's home. And every time we go back to Salt Lake City, it feels like we're coming home again. Salt Lake City is this beautiful, incredible place. It's filled with mountains and adventure. It's also filled with incredible brokenness, hopelessness. Salt Lake City holds the highest rates of clinical depression and internet pornography use in the country. One in six people lives below the poverty line. Hopelessness 
is all over the place, and, and anywhere you look, you will find homeless camps as there's not enough room for people. It's an expensive place to live, and the statistics go on and on, but the most heartbreaking of all, less than 1% of Salt Lake is Protestant Christian. Less than 1%. See, God gave me a purpose, a mission. And at first, I thought I had it figured out. I thought I understood this. I thought my purpose was to be a prison pastor. And then I thought, oh, my purpose must be to be a recovery pastor. But God has taught me my purpose was never to be a prison pastor or a recovery pastor or even a pastor in Utah. My purpose was to share the gospel of Jesus with people who need to hear it. And he's used me to do it in prisons and recovery programs, and he will do it in Utah. But you need to know, like, Katie and I never expected to fall in love with Salt Lake City. In fact, it was never on our radar before this. We never expected that I would be a lead pastor, much less a pastor who was starting a church. <laughs> if you think that's something I ever aspired to, you're wrong. <laughs> but God has put a passion in us to be a part of Salt Lake City. He's put a dream in our heart to build an organic and missional church filled with people who will spread the hope of Jesus with anyone and everyone they encounter while boldly loving God and equipping new believers to go and share that same gospel with anyone and everyone they encounter. Whether that's in our church or it's in someone else's church, or it's in a new church that they start, or it's in a new ministry, or it's in the street, down the street, in the bar. We don't care. In fact, we believe that there's a movement coming of new churches that'll be started all over Utah and beyond, and that we're gonna be a part of it. And we're so, so excited about that. See, what God taught me is that joy isn't a lack of discomfort. Joy is finding purpose in discomfort. I found joy when I found purpose in my discomfort. This is exactly what Paul's talking about. And he continues on in this letter. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. 
convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. You see, Paul is telling this church, guys, no matter what happens, the only thing that's important is that Jesus receives glory. Whether I live or die, doesn't matter. As long as in my life, I bring glory to Jesus. And in my death, my legacy brings glory to Jesus. And then he continues in that statement. And I hope you caught the gravity of that. Because here's my favorite thing about Paul. He doesn't accidentally choose any word. Every single word he writes, he chooses really, really carefully. And so he writes this really, really bold proclamation saying, guys, listen, I'm desperate to die. Not just like, okay, guys, I quit. I'm done. I'm out. He's saying, no, I'm desperate to die. He says, guys, I I realize, I know that when I pass from this life, I will spend all of eternity in perfect comfort with God. And I'm ready for that. I'm ready to be home with Jesus. He says, guys, I am desperate for the beatings and the shipwrecks and the imprisonments that I keep facing in my life to be done and over with. I am desperate to be done with the pain and the suffering of this life. But, but I know that it's more important for you that I continue to live. He says, I know that if I live, you will give glory to Jesus. I know that if you see me again, Jesus will receive glory for you. And because of that, I know, I believe that Jesus is going to allow me to survive this. That I will continue on for your sake so that you will glorify him. And he also says, this is for my own good too though, guys. He says, this isn't just for the good of everyone who I'm telling about the gospel. But it will serve for my deliverance and my well-being too. Do you understand that statement? My suffering turns out for my own well-being. Because other people will hear about Jesus and get to spend eternity in heaven. See, Paul knew this. Joy isn't a lack of discomfort. Joy is finding purpose in discomfort. And so Paul is able to rejoice in his suffering, knowing that people are going to come to know Jesus because of it. I would ask you to consider this. Just think about this for a minute. What is your discomfort? What discomfort is holding you back right now? Think about it. Don't say it out loud. Think about that for a minute. Then I would ask you to consider, are you prioritizing your discomfort? Or are you prioritizing Jesus? See, in this letter, Paul continues next 
to give a charge to this church in Philippi, a command. And I believe that this command applies to every single Christian. So I think it's important that we pay attention to what he says. Here's what he says next. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Don't forget that last line. And that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It has been granted to you to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now you hear I still have. I want to I nerd out for just a minute with you on this. So go back. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, I told you Paul picks his words very, very, very carefully, okay? So the word that he used to say conduct yourselves was a Greek word. It's a Greek word, polytuomai. It's kind of a fun word. Say it out loud. Polytuomai. Oh, come on. Say it out loud. Polytuomai. It means to behave as a citizen. To behave as a citizen. Let me help us just a minute, though, okay? Because I think a lot of times we glaze over words. So let me help you understand what the word citizen means. The word citizen means a native or naturalized member of a state or nation who owes allegiance to its government and, its in, and is entitled to its protection. So Paul is saying, whatever happens, live as a citizen of heaven, worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's saying, live like you are under heaven's authority. Live like you have heaven's protection, like no one in this world can hurt you or has any real authority over you because you are under the protection and authority of heaven. What would it look like if we started to live this out in our world, if every single one of us who calls ourselves a Christian began to build a community within our community of citizens of heaven, of people who lived out the gospel completely, who loved each other without bounds. Jesus said there were two rules that mattered. Do you remember? He said there were two rules that were more important than any others. Love God and love people. What if we lived that in every moment of our lives? What if that was our top priority? If at the end of the day, our, our measuring stick was, how did I love God today and how did I love the people around me today? And not just the people around me I like. How did I love everybody around me today? Because God made them. Make no mistake, when you say yes to God, opposition will come. I could tell you story after story after story of the opposition and the obstacles and the straight-up spiritual attacks that have come on my family and my team in the last six months 
as we prepared to start this church. There have been nights where we've been woken out of our beds, out of a deep sleep by the screams of our children. And we spent the entire night on our knees in prayer, casting things out of our home and and praying over our children and reading the scriptures out loud. There have been delays that just plain shouldn't have happened, but they did. There's been heartbreak and betrayal that, quite frankly, I'm never going to tell you about. And we've had a whole lot of hard conversations because this doesn't just affect us, right? We're moving our entire family away from everything that we know that affects our kids, too. My seven-year-old finished kindergarten this year, and he made his first best friend. I love that my seven-year-old is excited about what we're doing. He loves that we're going to go and we're going to share the gospel in Utah. He's excited, and he can tell you why we're doing it. But he's also heartbroken that he's leaving his best friend behind. But what I can tell you is that we will continue with joy because we know that people in Utah are going to hear the gospel of Jesus because of Mountain City Church. Some people will hear the gospel for the very first time in their lives because Mountain City Church will exist in Salt Lake City. I can tell you that I will experience joy every time I face opposition because I know it, be- it means that I have become a threat to evil. Because the enemy doesn't attack somebody unless they're a threat. Paul tells us that we will share in his suffering. He didn't say maybe, he didn't say if, he said that we would. It may not look exactly the same. I doubt most of us are going to face beatings and shipwrecks and imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. But we may face hard words. We may face hard decisions. The question is, where is our comfort? Because Paul knew that our comfort was in heaven. He knew that every one of us lives for eternity. We decide where we live for eternity. And that we have an opportunity to choose to live with God forever in perfect comfort and happiness and joy. And if we do, this life, this life that he calls us to embrace suffering for his gospel is just a blip in our existence. So are we seeking our comfort in heaven or are we seeking our comfort here? See, I think many of us have said yes to God. I think we've said yes to God, and then we've added a little bit extra on the end. We've added a small caveat and said, as long as I can have this. Yes, Jesus, I will absolutely do whatever you ask me as long as I can have my dream house. Yes, Jesus, whatever you ask as long as she falls in love with me. Yes, Jesus, just don't take 
this person away. I'll do whatever you ask, just don't take this relationship or make me move or whatever it is for you. Even more, I think many of us have felt God placing a purpose on our hearts. And we got excited about it. And we started moving with it until we realized just how big it was. And we realized that this thing is so much bigger than us that there's no way we could possibly do this on our own. And we turned tail and we ran away. I'll be the first to admit that there have been many times I've wanted to do that. There have been so many times that I've wanted to run away and go back to the steel yard. Where physically it was a lot harder, but emotionally and spiritually it was a lot easier. There have been so many times that I've considered whether or not I could just stay here and keep doing what I was doing because I loved what I did here. But it is so vital that we press in and say yes to God no matter how hard it is to do what he asks us to do. I think part of the problem is that a misconception has started to pop up in the church that sharing the gospel is the job of the pastor. That's the pastor's job to tell everyone the gospel, and it's our job to sit in the seat and listen. But see, the Bible tells us over and over and over again that sharing the gospel is the job of every single Christian in the world. It's not just the pastor's job. It's for every single one of us. We should be sharing the gospel with anyone and everyone we come in contact with, telling them about Jesus. It's, it's the purpose that he gives every one of us, to share his story so that the people around us will be in heaven with us. And it's a privilege to do that, but it's not easy. So today I want to ask you, if there's one thing you get out of all of this, say yes to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus when he calls and tells you to share the gospel, when he, when he prompts you to share his story, when he prompts you to share your story, your testimony, how you came to know him, the difference he's made in your life. Say yes to that. I promise you it's going to cost you. I promise you it will cost you. It may cost you money. It may cost you relationships. It may cost you reputation. It may, it may cost you everything you've ever known. It may cause you to pack up everything you own and leave everyone you know behind but I promise you it's worth it. There's a prayer that I try to pray every day. Whatever you ask, Jesus, my answer is yes, before you ask. As far as I know, that's probably the most dangerous and rewarding prayer you can ever pray in your life. I would challenge you are you willing to say yes to Jesus no matter the cost? Are you willing to have joy in suffering so that others will know this Jesus who has rescued us, who has changed our lives, who has saved us, 
who is so capable of giving us hope and peace and joy even while we suffer. Can I pray for that for us? Lord, I thank you and I praise you for the opportunity to stand in front of this church that I love so much, that has meant so much to me, where, where I met you and where I was baptized and became a pastor. This is my family, Lord, and I praise you for the opportunity to share what you've put on my heart. And I know that it's not an easy thing to hear. I know that it wasn't an easy thing for me as you were teaching it to me. That there were days that I thought that maybe it'd just be easier if I went back to my old life. (laughs) But I knew that wasn't a possibility. God, I pray that everyone listening to this right now would know that same truth. That the best thing we can possibly achieve in this life is to bring glory to you, Jesus that whether we live or we die, whether we suffer or we have comfort, that you receive glory, that people come to know you and experience you and recognize you for who you are, God. That is something worth doing. That is something worth giving our lives to. And that is not just for the best and the brightest. You know I wouldn't be here if that was the case. It's for every single one of us who claims the name of Jesus. God, I ask that you embolden our hearts today. That we would trust you. That we would seek you. That in everything that we do, we would seek to bring you glory, God. I give you all praise and honor, Jesus. And I thank you that I was able to share this today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.